1: There's this video of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi that you can find if you search around enough. Reporters are chasing her through the halls of the Capitol. Speaker Pelosi is mostly ignoring them. And then she gets this question that it seems like she can't help but answer. She turns on her heels and tells the camera exactly how she feels about the idea of impeachment. I just don't believe in it. They wanted me to impeach President Bush for the Iraq war. I didn't believe in it then. I don't believe in it now. It divides the country.
0: Unless there's some conclusive evidence that takes us to that place. Thank you.
1: Then she flashes a smile, steps into an elevator, and she's gone. Over the last few months, many congressional Democrats, when they've been asked about impeaching Donald Trump, they've adopted this mantra— Wait for the Mueller report. Not Nancy Pelosi. She's been super clear. She said impeaching Trump wouldn't be worth it. She said it would be a distraction.
0: There's this idea that impeachment is only worthwhile if you can convict and remove the president. And that if you cannot do that, that impeachment becomes a political burden. It could hurt the party in the 2020 elections and may even energize Republicans headed into them.
1: This is Jamel Bowie from The New York Times.
0: And this just generally strikes me as putting the cart well before the horse here, or the horse before the cart, or however that aphorism goes.
1: I called up Jamel because now that the Mueller report is out there, now that it's decision time for Democrats, I wanted to hear someone make the case for why impeachment makes political sense. I've heard the moral case for impeachment, the emotional case. But Jamel says it makes cold, hard political sense to impeach the president really
0: i do think that there's a real lack of political imagination on display from democratic leaders it just seems insane to me it's se- it, what it seems like is having reason oneself into sort of like this ultra savvy position where the thing the all the, the thing that's always most effective to do is not to fight and that just doesn't seem to track with anything that we've learned about American politics over the last 15 years.
1: Today on the show, Jamel's getting ready for battle. If you think impeachment is going to spell death for the Democrats or doom them to failure in 2020, Jamel's here to make a very different case, that everything you think you know about impeachment is wrong. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stay with us. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, first question. Let's say the Dems launched an impeachment proceeding and failed. What would that mean for their chances of winning the White House in 2020?
0: There actually isn't that great evidence that failing to convict and remove would hurt the party that initiated impeachment.
1: Jamel says the history backs him up on this. Because when Republicans tried to impeach Bill Clinton, and they couldn't really take it all the way... It didn't hurt them.
0: Democrats may have won seats in the 1998 midterm elections after the Clinton impeachment, but the attempt to impeach Clinton happened during a growing economy against a very popular president. And despite that, Republicans ended up winning the following presidential election or at least coming close enough such that a contested election could could go their way. So it's not clear whether they actually suffered politically all that much in the medium term for initiating impeachment. In this context, President Trump is very unpopular. The reason he's very unpopular is that voters who like his handling of the economy dislike his handling of everything else and believe him to be compromised ethically. The midterm elections were decided in large part on sort of widespread anti-Trump energy among both Democrats and people who don't necessarily identify with the Democratic Party. And so if you're thinking about this simply in political terms, what impeachment does is take all of the things about Trump that people do not like, put them in the context of unfitness, allow Democrats to impose a singular narrative on all of these investigations, and keep them in the public eye for some you know unknown amount of time, maybe a year, maybe longer than that. And that seems like the kind of thing that would generate anti-Trump energy and remind voters what they don't like about him ahead of a presidential election.
1: The argument on the other side is just that we can see a way forward and we can see the Senate is not going to vote in favor of this. We can see the House is probably not even going to vote in favor of this. So what's the point?
0: Uh, The argument that you shouldn't do this because the Senate won't convict I think sort of misses the point because impeachment is a process and it's a process of investigation and of kind of building a case. Articles of impeachment are introduced. After their introduction, there's investigations and hearings on each of these articles to determine whether or not they hold up. And I think that that process is really important. And I think that process has value even if the Senate never convicts.
1: Explain that because I feel like It's kind of like trust the process, where is the argument basically that it takes time and it allows this sort of common narrative to be built in the country? It gives like a moment to do that?
0: Yes, I mean, I think it's easy to overestimate how much ordinary people have been following any of this, right? And so what impeachment does, it's the big news grabbing thing, to put it crudely, that focuses attention and the public can say, here are these ongoing hearings that are going into what we now know is documented criminal actions or would be criminal actions from the president. So simply initiating it and going through with that process, I think what it, what it turns is a kind of Washington-focused conversation right now into like a, a sort of public deliberation. And people who insist that they know what the outcome of that is are kind of not being flexible enough or creative enough about what could happen in the in, in the wake of this, if investigation and inquiry and hearings reveals even worse behavior, then some Republicans may decide that it's just too much, and they may begin to publicly break with the president. If this does come to a vote, and the House votes to impeach the president, and it goes to the Senate, there will be a trial in the Senate. And then Republican senators will have to go on record saying that Despite all of this evidence of misbehavior and criminal conduct, we are not going to vote to remove the president. And that itself is an important political statement that at least clarifies the stakes for the public. What is being missed in all of this is that arguably House Democrats have a constitutional obligation to go forward with this process if they know, and we do know from the Mueller report, that the president repeatedly attempted to obstruct justice, directed his subordinates to break the law. If we know that, then I think that obligates people with the power to do so, to initiate proceedings to attempt to hold him to account. And if you cannot remove him, if that fails, you can still make the argument that The governing political party is so corrupt or so devoted to this president that they refuse to do or go where the evidence leads them and that we need to change to make sure this doesn't happen again, right? There are so avenues of political action open to you, even if there is no conviction.
1: But, you know, yesterday I saw this presidential scholar who said something really interesting. She said, the only reason Trump is not Nixon right now is because of Congress, which is what you're saying, but also because of conservative media. And you're talking about how Washington needs to do this narrative building. But I feel like Washington's also really scared that in doing this narrative building, they're not gonna be able to overcome the narrative on the other side.
0: This is probably a different conversation for a different day. But I think a thing that's happened in the Trump years is that Trump opponents, general liberals, observers, have in the course of recognizing the power of conservative media, have overestimated and overstated what its reach is. Yes, the president has a dedicated base. Yes, that base overlaps considerably with a kind of broad conservative media audience. But relative to the public at large, even relative to the people who vote, the people who consume conservative media on a regular basis are a pretty small percentage. So the goal here isn't to convince people who are already Trump supporters, Trump friendly, or kind of soaked in the world of the of conservative media. The goal is to reach everyone else. The goal is to mobilize your supporters. The goal is to impress upon people who have not been paying attention the weight and significance of this the point is to shape the overall political conversation and take it away from the president what i what i find sort of baffling i guess is the extent to which opponents of the president and and many democrats and, and many observers have simply presupposed that there's no way to shape public narratives, that politics is purely a game of reaction, and that one reacts to what the public says they want or says they care about. And if if that doesn't work, then there's nothing else you can do. But we know, simply from the fact that Donald Trump is the president, that we can move and shape public opinion and public behavior in unexpected and unanticipated ways. And so why not work at that? Why not use this clear procedure within the Constitution to do something about the fact that the President of the United States does not value the Constitution, is lawless or has attempted to act in a lawless manner, and wants to serve another four years to do more of the same?
1: Let's let go of the fear here, right? Let's just say we're not going to be scared of what would happen if we began implementing impeachment procedures. I think even if we do that, does it make sense to take a second and listen to people like Abigail Spanberger, who's in a very purple district in Virginia and definitely one of the very centrist Dems and may not wanna go in on this fight?
0: So I live like a stone's throw from Spanberger's district and her win, isn't possible or wouldn't have been possible without kind of anti-Trump energy broadly within Virginia. I think there's this thing happening where people look at the specifics of a district or they look at the particular of a candidate and they say, well, the reason I won is because of these individualized factors. I'm a centrist. I have these moderate positions while ignoring the larger context. The larger context of 2018 was broad anti-Trump mobilization from the Democratic base, and that made all sorts of things possible. And so while Spanberger may have been able to cross the marginal threshold to win because of particular qualities, particular to her, and that may be true of any number of more moderate candidates the overall context with broad mobilization and when that broad mobilization is gone democrats suffer in wisconsin democrats just lost a state supreme court seat because there they they elect judges and it was a very narrow loss and i think the difference between the Democratic Party's performance in Wisconsin now and last year is that last year, there was a broad anti-Trump and anti-Scott Walker mobilization in Wisconsin that just wasn't present anymore.
1: Do you think like Abigail Spanberger understands that?
0: I don't know. I mean, I, I, I do not know. Um, but I, I do think that it would be folly to attempt to stay quiet and hope that Republicans don't get too mad which is what appears to be the strategy among a lot of Democrats, as if as if what the, what, what the political situation is is some sort of broad and unified pro-Trump majority when the fact is that President Trump is one of the most unpopular presidents in the history of modern polling who's never been able to win support for a majority of voters and who was always kind of teetering on the edge of polling collapse. And it's bizarre to me that in that context the response is, oh, we're just going to, like, stay quiet. Remember, the economy is growing. In polls, voters say they approve of the president's handling of the economy. The reason why the president is underwater right now is because of everything else. And so why not explicitly talk about everything else?
1: Jamal, you have made a really strong case for impeachment and i wonder if house democratic leaders insist on not impeaching the president what do you think should happen next i mean should the democratic party be declared dead should should liberals find a new party should pelosi be deposed like what do you recommend
0: I would say that if there's a the decision not to pursue impeachment, the, the the least the Democratic Party can do is really aggressively do investigations of virtually everything associated with the president. I think that is the bare minimum that should happen because it's warranted by the president's behavior. Again, I think the overarching thing framing this is that we have a 400-page report, greater than 400-page report, from the former Republican head of the FBI detailing extensive criminality, uh, attempts to obstruct justice and direct subordinates to break the law from the sitting president of the United States. It is the closest thing to an impartial look at what's happened over the last couple years that we have. And it it ought to independent like independent of what the investigators think drive further investigation. But within the report itself, investigators say that we're not coming to any conclusion, but that Congress should, that Congress should act on this. And that if Congress believes that the president obstructed justice, they should do something about it. So why not just take that seriously?
1: Jamel, thank you so much for laying it all out.
0: Thank you for having me. Thank you for letting
1: me make this case. Jamel Bowie's an opinion columnist for The New York Times. All right, that's the show. You have been listening to What Next? It's hosted by me, Mary Harris, produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. When I'm not sitting here in the studio, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow.
0: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on.